Hello everyone. Welcome to season five of Baby Magic. I took a long, long break and now I'm back. Baby Magic has a new name. Baby Magic, Granny Sense. We have a new focus. My focus now is on women's stories. Stories about pregnancy and birth. Stories about mothering. About what it means to be an endurance athlete. Stories about women's bodies. Interesting stories about real women. Do you know someone who you would like to hear about? Would you like to be featured on the show? Drop me a line. Coming up on season five, a women's health specialist and runner, a midwife-to-be and volunteer doula from Virginia, an ultra runner who's due to give birth soon and has pledged to run or walk 20 kilometers every week of her pregnancy to raise funds for an important organization that supports women and girls. A doula extraordinaire who runs ultras in her spare time. Coming up very soon, an episode just about the legalities of giving birth at home in Quebec. What's legal? What isn't? What's risky? And in what way? What are women doing? And how have the laws changed over time? For today, have a listen to Rosemary's birth story. After an unwanted C-section, Rosemary decided to give birth at home without the assistance of a doctor or a midwife. I know this is a controversial subject, and I want to make very clear that I do not believe that this is an ideal way to give birth. Most women who reach out to me wanting to give birth without a midwife present would in fact love to have a supportive, supportive, keyword, knowledgeable woman to be with them for their birth journey. But we have arrived at a place where hospitals can often be frightening and unfriendly places, where midwives are bound by rules and where unregistered midwives are afraid to practice. Usually, an unassisted birth turns out just fine. But midwifery is the oldest profession for a reason. It's important to have a woman or a few women accompanying the birthing mother, even if they're somewhere else in the home, even if they never even see or touch that, that mum, they're there. My goal is that every baby should be born safely and also within a sacred sphere. So listen up. Spread the love. Hello, everyone. Today I'm speaking with Rosemary, who's a mother, and um, she'll introduce herself now. Thank you for joining me, Rosemary. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, so if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself for our listeners. Um, sure. So um, I'm 36, I think, <laughs> and uh, I have two girls. Chloe just turned two, and Amelie is actually five months today. Um, I came to Montreal a couple of years ago, and before that, I lived on the East Coast for 10 years, but I'm originally from Toronto. Um, food is my passion. I work, I've worked with food for a living and have spent the better part of the last 10 years heading to the bush of Northern Ontario to cook for tree planters um, for a few months at a time. I am a passionate individual um, with lots of fringe beliefs and um yeah just trying to make it through 
one step at a time these days. Well, I I didn't actually. Uh, that's super interesting that you that you cook uh, for tree planters. Tree planters are very special people in my life. Are they? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, they're very special people in general. They are. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's that's um, that just started as like a one-off. Hey, do you want to come cook for a couple months in the bush and? has turned into a, a lifestyle that I would like to keep for a very long time. And so interesting with children as well. I, I was just talking to someone else today about how it's so important to take children into into the forest, into the wild, into the desert, wherever it is that you live and um, mm-hmm. and explore with them. Totally. I, I'm so excited. We're actually taking both my girls next spring. Um, and when Chloe was eight months, we took her, we saved up some parental leave for Luke and he would take the time off work and come and full-time parent while I worked. And we, and we lived in a trailer, you know, in the middle of the bush. Yeah. And we had Chloe out there. So we're going to do it with two. We'll see how it goes next, yeah. next spring. Yeah. So I know that everyone here loves to listen to both stories. I, I've, I've loved listening to both stories forever and um, I know our listeners do too. So, um, so would you mind sharing a little bit about your birth stories? Absolutely, um, both of them. Honestly, up to you. Okay. Um, well, I really feel like one is a continuation of the other. And um, if I hadn't had my experience with my first, I'm not sure I would have had my experience with my second. So. Uh, the broad strokes are that uh, with Chloe, my first, I had I had just moved to um, no, forget the broad strokes. Let's just tell the story. Um, I had just moved to Montreal in December, and I got pregnant really soon. I think, yeah, I think it was like six months later. Um, you know, it was a new, a new language. I was in a really French area. I, uh, knew I had just moved in with my, my man, Luke, and, uh, we had only met the spring before that I had moved here in December, January. So there's a lot of new things and I had left behind a lot in Nova Scotia. My life in Nova Scotia was really rich in community, um, I had some I had some of the best friendships I've ever had in my life. Uh, I had been working for myself. I had, you know, been living this like very passion driven life. And um, I had sort of set it all on fire and then moved to Montreal. So I was in this really low place, just not feeling like myself, not feeling comfortable and then I got pregnant, sort of not knowing what I was going to do with myself. And I got pregnant and I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Now I'm going to be a mom. So I better do the damn thing. And um, pregnancy was rough. <laughs> it was so rough. I was so sick. I, I threw up every single day for the whole 10 months that I had Chloe in my womb. And I... 
that was navigating a new healthcare system and, you know, how do you get a midwife here and what does that look like? And are there midwives outside of the system? And I have a friend who's a traditional birth worker in Nova Scotia. So I I was familiar with that existing and um, am very naturally minded and really bodily aware in general. So wanted that to be my story. Got a midwife, you know, walked that path declined a lot of the testing and then you know how it happens at the end of the gestation it's like okay 40 weeks now the clock starts ticking and the closer you get to whatever their limit is uh, for my midwives it was 42 weeks like at 41 I had at 41 weeks I had to start going in for tests at the hospital and maybe we should talk about this form of induction. And I did seven acupuncture treatments. Uh, I saw an osteopath. I stimulated my nipples with a breast pump. I took black and blue cohosh tinctures for every half hour, two different sessions. Um, And there's just this like mounting pressure and um, what a horrible way to end a pregnancy. (laughs) And I hate that this happens to women and I hated that it was happening to me. And I remember, you know, there were all of these moments, I'll just describe one of them, that would like break me down. And right after I would have those moments, I would, something would come into my life that would fill me up again. Um, and this one in particular was when Luke and I had gone to the hospital to, um, have non-stress tests and an ultrasound so that they could tell me I was in the 95th percentile for fluid and that my baby was nine pounds, 11 ounces, and that my uterus was steadily contracting and everything looked great. So after... They gave me that information. I had to sit with a doctor for a consultation. And um, I remember he took a deep breath at the beginning and he started with, you know, everything I say is just my opinion. And then for the next like six or seven minutes, I don't even think he drew another breath. He just talked rapid fire. And, um, you know, he said things like, if you were my wife, you would have been induced two weeks ago. And you're going to kill your baby. And uh, I remember like watching Luke's face as this guy was talking to us. And it was just, it was all like, it was very a fear-based bunch of information being thrown at us in a really intense manner. And if you've ever been pregnant, you know that that those moments, those weeks before your birth, you're like, the most tender, the most open and the most vulnerable you've ever felt in your life. And that's such a strange place, especially for me to be because I don't, I mean, I'm a cancer, so I'm a really emotionally charged being, but um, I always considered myself like kind of hardcore And sort of like I could survive in a lot of difficult situations. I'm also the middle of eight children, one of the middle of eight children. So, I, you know, that's kind of been 
a big part of my identity growing up. And so to just be cracked open and to have things coming at me like that, it just destroyed me. I remember leaving that office and just bawling my eyes out because I didn't want to be induced and nothing was wrong with me. And I just, I just, you know, I didn't fit the clock, right? Like I wasn't, it wasn't working. I wasn't part of their clock. And um, so I'm just going to interrupt you right here. And okay. I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to everyone that's listening and I'm going to ask everyone to just throw some love at Rosemary and to, at all the women that this is happening to. And believe me, it's happening to tens of thousands of women right now as we speak. And it's a shame. And I'm so sorry it happened to you. Yeah. Yes. Yes to that. Yes to every woman who is going through that. It sucks. And it is so the opposite of what you should be experiencing the weeks before you become a mother for the first time, for the second time, for the 10th time. Um, and, you know, I, so when I, when I got out of there and I cried and the whole car ride on the way to the, the Maison de Naissance to see my midwife after um, I spoke to my friend Angeline on the phone and she's actually a labor and delivery nurse at the IWK in Halifax. And so I, you know, I have these like birth working women in my, in my world. And I remember reaching out to them at different points in my journey. And my conversation with her was so beautiful. She was, she was the one that built me back in that moment. Um, and, you know, just told me, taught me how to navigate the system and told me what a bunch of what he said was bullshit and um she was just great that moment was so great speaking to her and you know she filled me up and I felt whole and um I was in this place so that I couldn't I couldn't make myself feel whole I kept I kept reaching outside of myself for something I kept reaching outside of myself for someone to make me okay or someone that that took me down it was you know I was just it was like being blindfolded and gripping the walls. <laughs> That's how it felt. So um, finally, at 43 weeks, I went into labor at home, you know, five in the morning. And my mom had come to town, you know, six weeks earlier <laughs> to be with me when I might go into labor. Um and I had, you know, my birthing pool at home and I had something to hang from the ceiling and I had some birth affirmations and candles and I had, you know, set up all of these things. And because I, I wanted to have a home birth, um, but at 42 weeks, the midwives had told me there was their final decision. They, they were now transferring my care to a hospital to a hospital that I didn't want to go to, frankly, because the experiences I had had there, I didn't, I didn't want to be there. And um, I labored at home and labor came on really intensely right away. Uh, I remember my mother saying to me, Rose, your contractions are like three minutes apart. And that was only an hour into labor. So this is like six in the morning, maybe seven in the morning. And that's how it was. 
I labored for 24 hours at home. I um, remember at 10 p.m. I know I didn't know it was 10 p.m., but I knew it was dark again. I knew the day had gone by and it was dark. That Luke said to me, he had been texting with you actually, and he said to me, Rivka asked, asked me if you want her to come over. And I just like bawled in that moment. I bawled my eyes out and I was like, yes, please. Because I had felt so abandoned by everyone that I had wanted to to be with me. You know, all I wanted was a bunch of sisters around me and women and to be in my home and to, to, you know, everything that I felt I had in Halifax that I felt I had lost when I came here. Like that's all I, I was just craving this thing that I couldn't have. And then here you were this like one woman who was like, would you like me to come? And I just like, I, there was an emotional wreck. I was so grateful for that experience. And, um, I remember you came and I was laboring and um, we had a chat and I was just grateful for your presence. And I also, in my mind, you were this authority. You were a birth authority. I knew I had heard about you from my, my birth worker friend. I had had one previous conversation with you. I knew that you knew a lot about birth. I knew you'd been working in birth for a lifetime. Um, and so I really valued every, every word that came out of your mouth. And we talked about going to the hospital. And you talked to me about changing the way that I thought about it because I had expressed to you, I imagine, that I, I was afraid of it and I just thought it was going to be awful and I didn't want to be there. And I remember you telling me to reframe the way that I thought about going to the hospital and to basically, you know, I know you didn't use this word manifest, but that's the way that I, I remember thinking about it to like manifest the good experience. And so I remember after that conversation thinking, okay, maybe I will go to the hospital because earlier when I had been laboring, Luke had said to me at some point, are we going to go to the hospital soon? And I had said, you think we're still going to the hospital? <laughs> I, I wasn't going anywhere. Um, and I remember at that moment, after that conversation, thinking, all right, maybe I'll go. Um, and I bring that up because it just speaks to like how a little seed can, can change so much, you know. Um, and I'm going to come back to this later when I talk about Amelie's birth and how protective I was of myself um and whatever you know I labored and labored and labored and I started bar I had been barfing the whole labor you know I had been barfing every single day barf was a huge part of my experience so but it's but it it, it started coming out black and it came out black every five minutes for like 45 minutes or something and I remember thinking I don't know about this color this is this does not seem good so I started to get worried for the first time. And um, I remember Luke texted with you and you had said like something like it's fine or that sounds normal. But I didn't 
in that moment, I didn't believe you. You weren't in my space anymore. And I was like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> Uh, this is not good. And I'm going to the hospital. So that was the moment. So we packed up the car. I think it was four in the morning at this point. And uh, you had graciously been texting with us throughout the night. And um, we got there and I had this nurse. Her name was Emma. She was my check-in nurse. And she was so sweet. And one of my best friends from Nova Scotia's name was Emma. And I was like, oh, it's a good sign. It's a good omen. And um, I wanted to walk. I didn't want a, a wheelchair. And I was still having these wild, roaring contractions. And one so bad that I was like, okay, I'm going to take the wheelchair now. And they were like, yeah, yeah, you are. And uh, I had an epidural. Shortly after I was admitted, it barely worked. I still was roaring and felt everything. You know, uh, my sister Monica showed up at one point. I had really no concept of time. I knew we were kind of days into it, and I knew that my mom and Luke looked tired. But, you know, I was just in this other kind of world. Um, but... My experience at the hospital was great. Every nurse that I talked to was super nice. Uh, every doctor that came in and wanted to put their hands inside my vagina to tell me how dilated I was or give me more drugs for the black barfing or the, you know, the pain or whatever, they were all um, kind and asked for my permission and uh like took my refusals with no complaint um and i felt respected and that was surprising to me i was not expecting to feel respected but i was really grateful that i was feeling respected i had the option to call my midwife to come and kind of act as a doula and I never felt like I needed to call her. I had Luke there. I had my mother there. I had my sister there. I was like, how many people do I really need in this room besides me and the staff? So I never called her. Um, I got to 10 centimeters dilation. I had a, a doctor. They had broken my waters earlier in the day. Um, I had a doctor come in and say okay like you can you can push now it's time to push I was like awesome I want to sit up I want my knees up I want Luke behind me they were like great let's do it and um that that woman left and then another doctor came in this younger younger girl and she had broken my waters earlier and she had done it without asking me it was just hi, I'm here to break your waters. And suddenly there was like a skewer in her hand. Um, so when she came back in the, and I, and I had thought like, uh, okay, no to her. So when she came back in the room for what I imagined was my delivery time, I was like, no, I don't want you in here. I'm sorry, but you need to leave. And I told her to get out and everyone was kind of confused about that. Um, but I just said, no, I don't want her. And she didn't respect me and goodbye. Um, so shortly after an older male doctor came into the room and this was kind of the moment where everything changed. 
Um, and he put his hands inside of me without asking my permission. And he was in there for much longer than anybody else was. And he caused me a great deal of pain while he was in there. And he took his hands out and he announced to the room that I would be having a C-section. And I remember like kind of everything going silent in my head. And the one thing I thought was, this is not fucking happening right now. Like, I cannot believe this is happening right now. Because it was my worst nightmare come true, having a C-section. I did not want my body to be sliced open. I did not want my uterus to be cut through. Um, I felt very protective of my uterus and my vagina and my reproduction in general. And in that moment, um, I, all, I think all that came out of my mouth, oh yeah, my mother told me that what came out of my mouth was, was I'm scared. And that he responded, I am too. And um, there was nothing wrong with me and there was nothing wrong with my baby's heartbeat. There was no distress. And there was no reason for him to make that announcement. Um, and I remember him also using the qualifying words of, yeah, you're 43 weeks and your baby's too big. Nine pounds, 11 ounces is what the ultrasound had said she would be. Um, the next thing I knew, somebody was shoving a piece of paper. He was shoving a piece of paper in front of my face and asking me to sign off on three separate paragraphs, I think. And just verbally like, well, this is for this, and this is for this, and this is for this. And um, inside my brain, I heard myself say, make him read it out loud to you, because I never sign anything without reading it thoroughly. But I didn't listen to that voice, and I just signed things, because all this, oh, my epidural had run out of drugs at this point as well the bag was empty so I was fully feeling everything and my body was pushing my baby out I was having fetal ejection reflex in that moment um, so I was wheeled down to the OR shortly after the girl who I had told to get out of my room came back and said I know you don't want me in in your space but I'm on your surgical team and I said to her okay um, my problem with you is that you didn't speak to me you you didn't speak to me you spoke at me when you were here before and I don't want to have a c-section I'm scared and and if you're going to be there I need you to help facilitate me being spoken to and treated like a human being and I need people to communicate with me and call me by my name and I'm not just a body on the table and she said okay I can do that and she touched my arm and it was kind of this like tender moment between two women where it was like okay we kind of had this shit between us before but now we've ha had a, a chance to be real and to connect on a human level which I think is so important for people who work in birth and hospitals um, because I just feel like maybe they just see so many women and they work so many hours and um, that, that moment to connect 
really matters to, to really mattered to me as a birthing mother. I was wheeled down and I have a memory of an anesthesiologist standing over top of me. And as I'm writhing around on my bed, I say to him, what are you going to do about this? And he says, I'm going to give you a spinal tap. It has most of the same risks as an epidural. Do you consent? <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, and then I remember going into the OR and I was transferred to the OR table and, um, I wasn't having a contraction when I was transferred. And then they strapped my legs down and I started to have a contraction and I needed to fucking move. I needed to move. And I said, my eyes were closed and I said, uh, I'm having a contraction. I need to move. untie my legs please or unstrap my legs release my legs something like that and nobody spoke to me and nobody untied my legs so I said it a second time I need to move untie my legs and the same thing happened nobody spoke to me and nobody did anything and I said for the third time I'm having a contraction and I need to move you need to untie my legs and so they finally untied my legs, but they held them down with their bodies. And the contraction was kind of like, you know, coming to an end at this point. And I was sort of like, this is so, this is fucked up, but at least they let me go for that second. Um, and then Luke came into the room and I remember him looking at me and he was so scared because he knew that this was not what I wanted. He knew this was so far from what I wanted. Um, but I wasn't scared. I was so clear. I was crystal clear. And I was high on all the drugs. And I remember telling him, don't be scared. I'm not scared. Um, we had the C-section. They took her away from me and put her on a table on the other side of the room. I told him to go be with her. And then she was brought to me. She cried right away. It was good to hear her cry. Um, I had skin to skin with her. And they, when they told me it was time to separate us, because after 7 p.m. at this hospital, they separate the mother and the baby. Um, so they sent the mother to recovery. But if, if it's before 7 p.m., they don't do that. And I remember having an extensive argument with them about this because I didn't want to be separated from her. And um, I knew that that was important. And, and I argued with them. I was like, how much skin, skin to skin time are you going to give me? And they said five minutes. And I said, well, I need more than five minutes. I need at least 15 minutes. Because I know how important that is. I know how important that is to establish breastfeeding. I know how important that is for mother and baby to be together. And I had that knowledge and um, I wasn't going to screw with that. Uh, I also had colostrum because I had done that nipple stimulation to try and induce labor. I had colostrum and we brought it to the hospital. So um, part of me was like, okay. We're going to have skin to skin and then we're going to be separated, but at least I have colostrum so that she can have that when we're apart from each other. So when they tried to take her away from me after five minutes, I again, like, you know, begged and pleaded for some more time with my baby because she had just latched. 
and it was really awkward you know they're doing stuff to your stomach and I you're you're flat on your back and there's this new baby on you for the first time and I think I even asked someone am I allowed to move my right arm it's so ridiculous and afterwards yeah I was sent to a dark hallway where some people ignored me for an hour and wouldn't let me drink water and she went and she was with Luke and she was with my mother and she was with my sister. And there's some actually really sweet photographs from that moment. And um, an hour or so later, I guess I wasn't dead. So I was allowed to go see her and I was wheeled up to our room. And um, there's a video of me from the, the moment I have her in my arms and I'm talking to my mother and I am so high. <laughs> It's actually so gross to watch that video because I am so disgustingly high on drugs. And they put me on all kinds of like antibiotics and anticoagulants. I'm at risk for blood clots and all this bullshit. You know, all I want is just have my baby and I'm just like, I don't even remember, you know, the first time she was put in my arms. I remember being wheeled into the room she was in. But I did things in the hospital, like slept with her in my bed. And the the nurses who took uh, took care of me postpartum were actually all awesome. Um, and I loved them. And that, that uh, four days that I was there wasn't awful. It was actually great. I wasn't separated from her again. Nobody pushed anything on me that I didn't want to. I had to have like four in a row uncomfortable conversations about not taking that um that shot uh, rh negative mm -hmm. win row or whatever it is mm -hmm. um so but other than that it wasn't so bad and when i went home you know clsc nurse comes to your house uh that was that was really nice too i really had oh there was a lactation consultant on hand at the hospital that was great um, my, my second midwife happened to be there for a different birth. She visited. So I had lots of help. Um, and that was, you know, not so bad, but the months after that experience, um, looking back, like, you know, I don't actually know what PTSD is, but I'm pretty sure I had it. <laughs> I would lay awake at night and replay those moments over and over again in my head. I cried so much. Um, I remember my six week follow up with my midwife where we reviewed, we reviewed my chart, we reviewed every line of every doctor's note and every line of every nurse's note and we compared. And it was clear that she didn't think I needed the C-section either, but she couldn't come out and say that. Instead, she was said things like, People need to hear your story and you need to tell your story. Um, and I was just, this is the first time I'm telling my story. <laughs> um, well, it's a, it's a pretty, a pretty, I would say, disturbing rite of passage that so many of us are going through. This mm -hmm. kind of just wall of of apathy and violence that that, that we come up against when giving birth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah. So you're contending with all of that and you're a mom for the first time. And, you know, holding that little baby in my arms was just the greatest comfort that I could have ever asked for. And um, my, my partner's mother came and stayed with us for two weeks and like cleaned my home top to bottom and cooked for us and took care of us. And um, I had, you know, I always, I planned for postpartum help. That was a, a big, I knew about needing lots of help and laying in bed with your baby and doing nothing else. And that's pretty much what I did. My two of my brothers came to visit and yeah, I had, I was showered with lots of love afterwards. Um, and I had this little baby, this new life that it was time to get to know. And breastfeeding journey was really good. I was really lucky there. And she, I never felt like I had a bad sleeper if we're allowed to throw that stupid label around. <laughs> um, and Luke and I just figured it out. And, you know, he took a, he, I think he took months off work. So all we did was parent. We had decided if we're, you know, when you have to choose your parental leave parameters and you're like, let's just both take as much time as possible and parent our baby and be together. And uh, we did, and we took her to the bush at eight months, and that was last spring. And before she turned one, when I had just gotten back to my pre-baby weight and just started to feel a little bit like myself again, and had just gone back to work for the first time, and was really starting to like feel my groove and think about me, I got pregnant again. <laughs> and uh, I was like damn it you idiot <laughs> but um I had no break in period so I know sometimes women don't get their period after they had a baby but I had mine right away and every 22 days from that moment forward so that it happened in about a year wasn't a huge surprise it's not like we really weren't trying to not get pregnant mm, and so that was, uh, I got pregnant in July of 2020. So we're right smack dab in the middle of, you know, first few months of life with COVID. And um, my experience with Chloe, I just knew like that if I ever had another baby, my, I would... I would just never put myself in that situation ever again. Never, 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 never. You know, the time after birth, I had poured over. I got my medical records. They took like four months to arrive and I had to pay, I don't know, 55 cents a page for like 135 pages or something. Absurd. Um, but I had poured over my medical records and tried to figure out why this had happened to me. I'd done a lot of work on where, how I was living in like a victim consciousness and how I was like just putting myself in this, thinking of myself as this victim and wanting to not be there again and thinking, okay, like if I don't want to be a victim, 
how do I move away from that? How do I move out of that? Um, thinking about how I needed to take ownership for every decision that I made that put me exactly where I was. Um, because all of that stuff didn't just happen to me. I actively participated in every choice. Um, there's so much to be said for coercion and the situation you're in and how vulnerable you are and all of that. And that's all truth. But I really still had to contend with what the role that I played and the responsibility that I had to take for what I had experienced and how I had experienced it. There was this one moment I remember my midwife was like, well, you know, some people get C-sections and they're fine with it. And other people get C-sections and they're devastated. And I was like, okay, like, that's weird, but I'm one of the devastated ones. <laughs> um, so yeah, when I got pregnant, I just knew that I wasn't going to touch the medical system, you know, with the 200 foot pole. There was no way. I was 100% opting out and was incredibly firm in that decision the minute I found out I was pregnant. I did not need anything other than that stick turning in the little line. Um, that was the only thing I needed. And that was a radical decision, you know, that changed the whole trajectory of my experience as a pregnant person and um it was hard and it was awesome because I had no tests to give me information I had intuition that I had to listen to and I had nobody saying well your glucose level is this or the heartbeat is this or um, your weight gain is this, or you can feel your uterus here, had none of that. So it was really interesting to see how, because there was no, there was nothing outside of myself for me to look to for information about my, my pregnancy and my baby, I was, I had to step up to the plate in this way that I didn't when I had Chloe. Um, so I found myself, I had like, I was really disciplined and I'm not a super disciplined person with like a daily routine kind of thing, but I have to tell you, I would say most mornings I was up, I made myself a nice big herbal infusion to drink for the day. I did a yoga practice. I ate excellent food. Um, food is like the thing that I like to spend money on in my life. And um, since it's my industry, I love markets and um, my food world is a very privileged, beautiful, nourishing, lovely place. So I would make myself these really good meals and, you know, I didn't have to go to work um, because I work seasonally. And for the first time I took EI mm -hmm. Because when you're a seasonal worker, that's available to you once your season ends. So I had worked with Chloe. I had gotten pregnant. I had applied for EI. And I was like, I have this income. And now I can just be a pregnant person. Um, so that was such a gift. You know, I could just be a mom and be a pregnant person. 
And I was just, I felt so lucky to be in that place. Um, yeah, so lucky. And uh, I bought, I spent like 400 bucks on this free birth society course, the complete guide to free birth. And it's like hundreds of hours of videos and transcripts and you know any question you have about birth basically these two women are just talking about their opinions and um what they think about birth and what they know about birth and what studies they've read about birth and what stories they've heard women tell about birth all under the umbrella of a free birth context uh so there's just a ton of information there and you know I didn't like gobble up every little bit of information but I had that kind of reference so when I thought about okay like should I do a blood test or like you know is there some I I, at the beginning I was kind of confused I was like is there some way I want to engage with the medical system here you know do I want to go like full intuition um, because it's COVID? What, what will it look like to engage with the medical system? Um, am I going to catch COVID? Uh, do I want to be putting myself in a room full of people waiting to see a doctor? Cause they're probably sick. You know, I was sort of contending with all of those questions and I was really grateful for that resource um, because it helped me work things. There's like a module on fear and the conversation was something like most women experience fear, um, fear about what, what are you afraid of? Do this activity and think about your fears, sit with your fear. Where does it come from? Why are you afraid of that? Is there any piece of information that you're missing? Is there something that you want to know that might help you to stand in your fear and work through your fear? Do you need to work through your fear? Is fear something that it's okay to experience? So that was really cool to have. And that was also, I had, again, I had asked my mother to come. Um, so I, w- I knew that I was planning to birth with, with my partner, Luke, and my mother. And um, that was actually a great resource for her. Because I think I had spent, you know, my whole pregnancy with Chloe, my whole postpartum with Chloe, and my whole pregnancy with um, my next baby, Amelie, um, contending with my fears and asking myself those questions and and doing this sort of like spiritual work. Um, But she hadn't. And I mean, she had eight kids. so She had in some way, but they were all in the hospital and she'd never heard about free birth until I had told her about it. And um, so it was kind of cool to be like, okay, what does she have questions about? You know, we had like a Zoom meeting scheduled in my the end of my first trimester, maybe into my second trimester. And I was like, let's talk about fear. And what are you like, what fears do you have? Um, and so she was able to voice those to me. And I kind of had this place where I was like, okay, she's afraid of, you know, um, 
how do we cut the cord? And I had a few different options. Well, we could have sterile scissors on hand. Uh, we could not cut the cord. And, you know, I had all of these kind of options laid out uh, from this course. And sometimes I would just say, like, use my login and go read, listen, watch this video or read this thing. So, and then she could come back to me with questions. So that was a cool resource to have, an expensive one, but a really cool one. Um, but that aside, you know, I would only like jump into that every once in a while. And that aside, I just, the biggest part of the work really was dealing with other people. It was like, I was firm in my choice. I trusted my body. I knew that I didn't need that C-section. I knew that the end of my pregnancy should have been this like really yummy, you know, self-loving um, sleep in and take baths and just slip into this woozy place that you are when you're bringing life into the world like I, I knew it should have been sweet like that instead of this like stressful roller coaster um I my bot like my hips are big I'm short I, I've been people have been saying to me you look like you're born to have babies since I was a kid like I always knew that I could give birth it's never been a question for me so I was confident and I was fine. And mostly it was just other people being like, are you insane? And are you going to die? And are you going to kill your baby? And you just had a C-section a year ago. What are you thinking? What about your scar? What about uterine rupture? Um, all valid questions, you know, <laughs> questions that I had contended with myself. And so for my first trimester, I, um, I entertained all those conversations. You know, I have seven siblings, I have four sisters and three brothers, all of whom I'm close with. So um, they had questions, and I love them. And I wanted to answer their questions. But there's a lot of them. And eventually I got to a place where I was like, okay, uh, it's hard enough to make a choice like this. And sometimes I have a hard time being okay with it myself. You know, I had moments like that for sure come up. So am I spending all my energy here trying to convince other people that my choice is okay? Or should I just work on making sure that I'm okay? Because I'm also raising my one and a half year old. Um, so the longer into the pregnancy I got, the stronger boundaries I started to have with people in my life. And by my third trimester, if, if you weren't supportive of my choice, I actually wasn't talking to you. And that was really hard. That was... That was hard on some very important relationships in my life. Um, but it was a choice that I was super firm in. Because as I entered my third trimester and I started to feel myself 
crack open again in this like vulnerable emotional place um i knew that any seed coming from anyone who i considered an authority or whose opinion i gave a crap about and i value the opinions of my siblings i love them they're intelligent and awesome people who are only coming at me from a place of love um i knew how powerful their their words could be and i knew how powerful their fears could be and how any little seed even if it was just you know my sister who had a, a v-back herself who was just she was worried you know she called me one day and she was worried and she cried she cried to me and i tried tried to shut it down like right away tried to shut the conversation down right away but i was unsuccessful and it took me like a week to repair from that because i love her and she was worried about uterine rupture because she had had a v back um 2 years after her her cesarean with her first baby and um you know she had been where i was and she was worried and she had been talking to her midwife about it she had reached out to her midwife this is something people in my life were doing they couldn't come to me with questions because i was putting up the walls so they were reaching out to people in their lives to try to get information and her midwife was making her afraid and then she was afraid and she was calling me and she was making me afraid um and yeah i just knew that that wasn't that wasn't the way i wanted to do it i didn't want to ride the roller coaster so i would i there was a few times where i like learned my lesson like that and i would get off the phone with the person who i was having the hard conversation with or a text message conversation or whatever it was and i would say to luke like well i learned my lesson again now i feel destroyed and i've you know and it would take me a good week to to build myself back again but by the time Amelie's birth came around um i was in such a good place i had been cross country skiing all winter i had even been like towing chloe and on this i have this thing that you can put around your waist and she can sit in and you cross country ski and i live uh in lachine like right by the water and there's groomed trails here in the winter time and um you know i was just like healthy and fit and i had learned how to palpate my belly and feel where my baby was and i knew that she was head i didn't know it was a girl i knew that she was head down i had ordered a fetoscope from a midwife supply company and i could hear her heartbeat and i could listen to my placenta um i had just done the work to put myself in a place where i was so confident and so fearless and so ready to just birth my baby on my own terms and in my own way and to not be going to acupuncture and trying to induce labor and da, 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 da. it's like 
and it was 42 and four before I went into labor with her. I figured I would, you know, gestate long because I had gone 43 before spontaneous labor with Chloe. And um, so, yeah, I guess this brings us to the, the day of labor. Um, I woke up again, five in the morning, and I knew something kind of felt different. My mother had come to town a week and a bit before. Yeah, I asked her to come at 41 weeks. Um, and her plan was to stay with us for a month postpartum to help help out with everything. I felt my first sensation alone in the bathroom. Everybody in the household was still sleeping. And it was a it, it was a really strong sensation. And it kind of took me to my knees. And when it stopped, I was like, oh, that's different. You know, because I'd been having some tightenings, but nothing that took me to my knees. But I didn't really believe that I was in labor. <laughs> At the same time, I was like, whatever. Um, that was kind of part of my headspace. I was like, no expectations. Okay, sure. I had this one contraction, but... I might not be in labor. I might have those con those kind of contractions for another three weeks. Like, what? We're good. I'm as ready as I can be. Sure, we need to blow up the birth pool, but everything else is kind of in order. I mean, what is there to get in order? I'm just going to be at home and have my baby, right? Um, but they they came. It came again about an hour later. I had another one, and I was like, okay maybe so i called my sister my sister lives in montreal and the plan was uh for her to take chloe um if i wanted her to take chloe so i wasn't sure if i wanted chloe at the birth i wasn't sure if chloe would be comfortable but she was kind of on call so i called her and my mom was actually staying there too and i was like you know hey i might be in in labor but i don't know and just keep your phone close they're like okay sure my mom was like, okay, I'll come, I'll come back to your place. Um, so yeah, they, they came, you know, once an hour and that day, like Luke had rented a truck and he had plans to drive to Rapunzini to pick up a piece of furniture. And I was like, well, I don't know, I might be in labor. So like, let's just take it an hour at a time. And maybe you shouldn't drive and be away for so many hours and let's at least blow up the birth pool. And and that day, I also had plans scheduled with two friends. Um, one of them had planned to come over and bring me juice, which is so sweet. And one of them had planned to come over and take Chloe to the park. They had a, a baby girl the same age as Chloe. So, I, you know, I had created a bit of community for myself at this time, by this time in my life in Montreal. And I had some friends who in my later part of pregnancy were looking out for me, which was so amazing. It felt so amazing to be held like that, especially on this day. And it was kind of this weird coincidence that they were both already scheduled to come over on that day. And I had, and so I texted them both and I said, cool, we're still on for today, but I might be in labor. So um, we'll, you know, see you when you get here. And uh, I remember I was ravenous. I ate like six meals that day. I was just, I was so hungry. 
Um, and labor never, it never picked up and it never slowed down. It was like one intense contraction once an hour for the whole day. Um, so my one friend came over and she like, she's like, what do you need me to do? She cleaned my whole house and she organized all those like last minute little things that, you know, put this shower curtain here and whatever. Um, my other friend came and she, she brought food and she took my daughter to the park. So, you know, my kid was taken care of and my mom bought a, a new um, card for my cameras because we were going to record some of, some of the, the labor or the birth. I told her to, yeah, record the emergence. I made myself, you know, herbal teas and electrolyte drinks. And I had, I even had time alone in my home at one point in the day where I was, yeah, I was just all alone and it had been freshly cleaned and I was well fed and feeling very loved. And I made a bunch of little birth affirmations and put them all over the walls. And um, I just had this like really sweet day. But still, the whole time was thinking, yeah, this could be labor, but this might not be labor. Like, I really wasn't convinced uh, until after dinner time. So we had, you know, my mom cooked this, like, steak and potatoes and onion dinner. It was delicious. And I, I'm pretty sure I had a glass of red wine. And, uh, um, you know, maybe every half an hour now I was having a big, intense contraction. And Chloe was kind of looking at me and she was, I had been talking to her for months about, you know, mama's going to have a baby and she's going to roar like a lion and this baby's going to come out of mama's yoni and mama's going to make noises and maybe you'll be here, but maybe you'll go with Auntie Monica. And um, there's a, there's a little video recording of just after dinner I had Chloe sitting on my knee and then I have a contraction and I have to put her down and get on the ground and then I can stand back up again and be with her. And I had a bath with her that night and put her to bed and my mom went to bed and Luke went to bed and I set up this little laboring space for myself right next to our bed. Um, I had some drinks and some candles and some music and a birthing ball and a yoga mat and a bunch of pillows and a heating pad. It was like paradise. <laughs> and I, and it was dark and Luke was kind of, you know, it was a couple of meters from me he's laying on the bed and he's sleeping. And I was just thinking, and that's when labor really came. That's when I was like, okay, I'm actually in labor. That's when I first admitted it to myself. <laughs> And it was the best. I, I All I did was try to rest. That was my only mission, pee and rest. And I just laid on the ground and I would moan through a contraction. And I thought to myself laying there like, this is the most beautiful laboring moment any mother has ever had. <laughs> in the whole wide world. I wish every woman got to do exactly this. It was like I was alone, but I wasn't alone because he was right there. 
and it was dark and it was quiet and I just let these surges come and my I think I had written drop in drop in was what I was thinking about okay drop in it's time it's time to drop in and to just yeah I just wanted my my brain chemistry to change and to just let myself be as feral and mammalian and animal-like as I was going to be and to let it wash over me. And my only goal was to relax. And I remembered there was actually something that you had said to me when you had come to see me um, with Chloe. You had said, well, like... you don't need to do the work because I remember with Chloe, every time I got into the water, I had a birthing pool at home. And every time I got into the water, my labor had slowed and I was all worried. I was like, Oh no, my labor's slowing down. It has to keep progressing. Like I got to get out of the water. It's got to progress. And I had told you about that. And you were like, it doesn't matter. Like rest is good. And your body will do, it will open. It will do its thing. It knows what to do. Um, and, and I, and I thought about that when I was laboring with Amelie, I was like, all you have to do is rest. Like, this is just going to happen. You don't have to do anything. (laughs) Um, so that was great. (laughs) I really loved thinking about that. And it's, it's hard to relax. There's, you can really hold on to those contractions and get tense and, you know, keep the tension between them. That, that's kind of, I felt like what my body wanted to do, sort of. But what my consciousness wanted to do was to relax, was to let go of the last contraction, was to spend the time between contractions as peaceful as possible. Um, so I labored on the floor in that little paradise in my room for a while. I asked Luke to bring the candles into our bathroom and I got in the tub for a little while. I got out of the tub. I went back into our bedroom. I I crawled into bed with Luke and I think I started to cry because it was starting to get really, really painful and really intense. And, um, I said to him, I I want my mama and I want to get in, in the birth pool. Can, can you wake her up? And he said, okay, I'll go wake her up, wake her up. She hadn't slept a wink. (laughs) She was just in the other room worrying and praying. And um, apparently it was around two in the morning at this point. Um, And I had this, like, I, my eyes were closed and I was on my bed And I remember feeling her walk into the room and sit on the bed next to me. And and I touched her hands, like her hands touched my hands. And that moment was just like, it was just the sweetest thing in the whole world. It was like, (laughs) I just, I needed her and she was there and her presence was so loving and so calm and she just said, like, Rosie, I'm here. (laughs) 
And then I think I barfed on the bed <laughs> immediately. <laughs> of course, it's, it's both, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, then, and then I think I barked in a bucket that she brought me. And then we just laid there in the barf for a little while. And, um, and eventually I was like, you know, what's taking so long? Can I get in the water? And she said, okay, I'll go check. And she said, yeah, it's ready. Um, Luke thinks it might be too hot. So I went and I got in and it was a little bit warm, but, but it was nice and warm. We had, we had made the mistake the first birth of putting cold water first and then hot water after, but this time he got it right. He put the hot water first and the cold water after. There's a little labor tip for anyone doing it at home. Mm. So I got in that in that pool and it felt amazing. I kind of live in the bathtub um, most of the year. <laughs> like I love the water. I'm a I'm big into to swimming, big into rivers and lakes and pools and as much as I can be in the water at all times I'm in. Um it's it's my safe space so i'm really grateful that we were able to rent a birthing pool and have it and i loved getting into it and again i just my whole mindset was like i had no concept of time i told i told them no timing the contractions don't talk to me about what time it is i don't i don't even want to know that time exists um so that was great and I didn't even think about time. I had no concept of whether it was day or night or how long it had been or anything. And I was just, I was, the only thing I was thinking was just make it through this next contraction and relax. I was saying things like open, open. I was saying relax, 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 relax. Um, okay, 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 calm down, calm down, calm down. And they were, the waves were coming in hot. They were strong. And, you know, I live in an apartment. <laughs> I had told all my neighbors, I'm like, and they were, they were all like, you're still pregnant? You're still pregnant? And I was like, you know, you'll hear me. <laughs> you will know when it's coming. So I didn't think about that at all, but I just let myself be wild. I let myself be as wild and loud as, as I wanted. And Chloe's bedroom is like two meters from where I put this birthing pool. And I was sure that I was going to wake her up, but that night she slept like the dead and she did not wake up. Um, so yeah, I, I had no concept of time. I I told them, you know, don't time my contractions. Don't tell me what time it is. I didn't know if it had been four hours or two hours or eight hours or 12 hours or 24 hours or whatever. It didn't matter. And I had no expectation of, oh, I'm, I'm at this stage in my labor. I wasn't analyzing that at all, which was really different from my first. I wanted to know, okay, where am I? You know, what does the puking mean? I didn't have any of that. I was like, this, we could be here for days. We could be here for weeks. I didn't care. All I knew was birth was happening. Labor was happening. I was coming closer to my baby. 
So shortly after I got into the tub, I, um, I felt a gush. I felt my waters break and I, I felt a big gush and I told them, oh, my, my waters just broke. And um, my mother later told me that at that moment, my noises were different, that, I, that she had gone from observing me just trying to make it through the contraction to um, a, a bearing down. That's how she described it. So I guess something changed then for her as an observer, but for me, not, not really. And I just let myself, you know, be as wild as possible. I didn't hold back. I moved around in that tub. I roared. I didn't care that if my, I didn't even think about my upstairs neighbors being able to hear me, which they certainly could. Um, I didn't, I was, I was almost certain that my daughter was going to wake up because her bedroom door is not far at all from where my birthing pool was, where I was laboring and screaming. Um, but that night she slept like the dead. She did not wake up, which is a miracle and was a gift. Um, <clears throat> And I remember at one point feeling really cagey and thinking, like, get me out of this tub. And I stood up and I put my hands on the wall. And in between contractions, I turned to Luke and I was like, Luke, get me out of here. Like, help me get out. And he said, okay. And Luke is really quiet and passive and sweet. And he came over to the side and he grabbed my hands. And it's quite high. And I tried to lift my leg over the side. And boom, a contraction came and I just, I couldn't do, I just dropped to my knees back in the water and accepted my fate. I was never getting out of this pool. I was like, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And um, I also remember calling out for my mom again at this moment of like, mommy, I called mommy, mommy. And she came over and she held my hands and there was just something so important about her presence for me, about having her there with me. It was, oh, it just, it gave me so much. And suddenly um, I could feel the baby descending. Like suddenly I could, yeah, I could feel something in my pelvis, something changing. And um, for the first time, I put my finger inside myself. And a couple knuckles deep, I felt something. And I said out loud, like, oh, I, I think I can, I think I feel something. I think I feel the baby. Um, and I later found out that was around 4.30. My mom had, you know, taken a couple notes on what I had said at different times, 4.30 in the morning. So, yeah, that was, that was bizarre. And I had, I had been feeling the baby, like, kick vigorously many times throughout the labor. So I was never worried about the baby. And I always just, I thought, like, you know, we're doing this thing together. And this is, this is great. 
like we're, we're moving forward together and thank you for kicking. Like, thank you for moving so that mama knows you're okay. Um, and then I really started to feel something coming. <laughs> and I could tell that my vagina was opening and that something was starting to emerge. And I've been present at one birth. Um, my friend Julie had twins, and it was a hospital birth at the IWK. And my my friend Ange, who's the nurse, was our nurse. And I watched the first baby crown. So I was thinking about that moment, and I was thinking, "Oh, I'm crowning! Like it's happening." Not that I knew it was ahead or thought it was ahead. I had no idea, and I didn't care. But I thought to myself in that moment, you don't have to do anything right now but breathe. Do not rush this. Do not rush this moment. And the roaring stopped and I became completely silent. And all I was doing was breathing. All I was thinking about was just breathe. And the contraction would come and and whatever it was would start to, you know, open my vagina and then the contraction would end and whatever it was would go back up. And, and again, I would think, don't rush this. Like you might be at this stage for hours. It doesn't matter. This is not to be rushed. Your body will open. You're good. And I was leaning back on the side of the birthing pool with my arms out on either side and kind of like frog legs. And uh, I didn't want to touch it. Like I didn't want to touch whatever it was that was coming out while this was happening. Plus, I didn't want my arms down in that position. I wanted them nice and up. And eventually, I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get behind this one so baby doesn't go back up. So the contraction comes and the descending happens. And just as the contraction's finishing, just at the end, just a tiny bit, I held. I held my muscles. This is my like first bit of intention in the movement or the, the pushing phase, I guess. Um, and it worked. And then the next contraction, like the baby didn't go back up. And then the next contraction something emerged and I opened my eyes for the first time in like probably hours. And um, I saw my mother sitting in front of me next to the pool. And I thought that Luke was just to my right because he had been there pretty much the whole time, but he was like laying on the couch pretty far away. And I looked over and I was like, oh, babe, like, you're missing it. And he's like, I'm right here, babe. And I was like, yeah, but you can't see what just came out of my vagina. And my mom goes, oh, something's coming out of your vagina? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what? Because I had gotten so quiet. And because they had both experienced this really long labor with me, he was like, oh, I'm taking a nap. And he had like laid down for his first nap. And I was like, yeah, something's there. I was like really, really blissed out. I remember being like, 
yeah, like something's there. And they're like, oh, we can't see, it's dark because it's all dark. And I was like, oh, I'll use a light. And then they both flicked on a light. I was like, no, no, a flashlight. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Um, and they turned the lights off and, and they're like, it's a head, it's a head. And I was like, all right, whatever. Like, who cares? Like, I didn't care if it was a head or a bum or a leg or, you know, I wasn't worried about what it was, but they told me it was a head. So um, it was cool to know that the fuzzy, slimy thing I had touched maybe was was hair. That was really cool to think about. And um, so I was expecting, oh, in that moment to feel the baby rotate because I had learned that uh, typically the head will come out and then the baby will rotate to get its shoulders through. But instead of feeling rotation, what I felt next was like vigorous kicking. <laughs> mm. And um, and I started to talk to the baby and I was like, okay, okay, like I'll move. My mom had, had taken out the video camera at this point. So um, this part is not from memory. This part is from watching and knowing what happened. And But I do remember thinking like, okay, let's try this other position. So I got down onto my knees and put my, my hands and knees and I, I touched the, the baby's head and I felt that there was cord by the neck and I, that didn't worry me, but I was just like, okay, now I know that there's cord and then I'm going to have to unwrap it. And that's good to know. And then I thought, well, I don't want baby to get stuck. So I'm going to get behind these next contractions to help get the shoulders out. So I did, and I, you know, I had my hands on my baby's head, and I was on my knees leaning forward, and I put effort into the next set of contractions that came. And um, yeah, I think it was three nice grunts, and out came baby. And I, sat back and was like, oh, 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 okay, the cord, it's, oh, it's tight, it's really tight, and um, I was like, okay, like, it was really tight, and I couldn't just, un like, unloop it over the head, I had to, like, spin the baby's body around, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I gotta get the legs and spin the baby's body around and I'm reaching behind myself to feel for the legs and I'm confused because I can't feel the legs and I'm like I realize oh they're still in me so I just <sighs> pulled pulled the baby out so the legs weren't in me anymore and then because I was in the water it was really easy to like float the body around and spin the legs around and get the the cord off and then I pulled the baby up to my chest and um, she was really pink, um, but really floppy. And um, yeah, she didn't cry and she wasn't breathing and I wasn't worried. Uh, I just, you know, I had just, she had just emerged. I was kind of just catching my breath and I put her on my chest and I was looking at her and I started 
rubbing her and talking to her and, you know, um, saying hello to her. And um, I put my mouth to her mouth and her nose and I sucked and I spit. And um, I was just examining her and giving her time. I didn't know it was a her. Uh, but yeah, giving her time and my mom was really nervous and she's, I heard her like kind of draw a breath, like gasp and say like, is he okay? Um, and I, I respond with baby's been vigorous the whole time. Sometimes it just takes a little while. Um, baby's okay. And she said, okay. <gasps> Is it a is it a boy? And I said, I don't know. Don't say anything. <laughs> and, and then I was just focused on my baby, and I put, you know, I put my baby on my knees, and I put the head lower than the butt, and I was rubbing and talking, and um, my my tone of voice in the video. I'm, I'm excited, and I'm not I'm not worried. You know, baby's nice and pink, and I never paid attention to the umbilical cord in this moment, but looking back in the video, it's like a crazy spiral of, of blood still, mm. um, which is cool to see. Cause the first time I paid attention to the umbilical cord, it was white and floppy and the baby was gas, like gasping, uh, like this open mouth reflex. Like, I don't know how to maybe describe it, but it would just open and you could tell that like, baby was trying to to draw breath or doing something at least there was some that was the there was some movement and um I was okay for a while and then I had this little moment where I was like I don't know what that is like I had watched birth videos and I had never seen a baby do that and I had never read about a baby doing that and I didn't know what that was so that was kind of the first moment of the whole experience where there was an unknown that I felt not confident about. And she took a while. She took minutes. Um, and then I think I said to Luke, like, can you Google newborn gasping? <laughs> and he says, okay. And uh, a couple seconds later, she cried. And she started to breathe and her lungs were a little bit raspy. Um, I think right before I asked Luke to Google, I, I gave her a breath. I gave her a puff. I put my mouth on her and I, I puffed a little breath into her. But yeah, she, she cried and then she cried and cried some more and she was there. She came, she crossed over and um eventually we got out of that tub and we got into the bed and um when she cried I asked Luke what time it was and he said it's 5.03 so she was born at 5.03 and uh once we got into bed the sun came up and then Chloe woke up <laughs> so that was kind of perfect timing like I couldn't have asked for better timing and then the afterbirth pains came 
and they were so intense. So baby was still attached to her cord and oh my gosh, those those pains were like they were nuts. My sister Monica came over and after we got Chloe, like, you know, introduced her to the baby, she she fed Chloe and took her for the day so that I could focus on, you know, finishing and birthing my placenta. And uh, you know, a couple hours go by after pain births are really intense, but I'm squatting and placenta's not coming and I'm not I'm not bleeding and I'm eating and I'm patient. I'm waiting. It's really awkward. Like it's incredibly awkward to have the newborn and to be trying to birth the placenta. And a couple more hours go by and I'm like, okay, maybe I need to go on the toilet or maybe I should try in the bathroom or, you know, something like that. And, um, still not coming (laughs) and I'm not um I'm not panicking and I'm not worried and I think to myself well it's kind of awesome that I'm at home because it's now four and a half hours deep and no placenta and Nobody around me is panicking. And I was just like, great. That was another, like, I'm grateful for this moment. Because if I was with a midwife or if I was in a hospital, maybe it would have been ripped out of me already. Or maybe somebody would be injecting me with Pitocin or maybe somebody would be aggressively massaging my belly. For sure. Absolutely. I was just talking about that um, today with someone and... um midwives and doctors these days have a limit of an hour and a half and and one doesn't even know why like there doesn't seem to be any scientific explanation for why except fear is is there like i'm actually really curious about this because i don't know is there a time when it does become dangerous like what exactly happens there what's the problem so very, very, very rarely um, a placenta can be so like ingrown into the muscle of the uterus that it doesn't actually come out and it needs surgical removal. So these kind of rare events, it's kind of like, did you actually know that sometimes people get such bad constipation that they have to get their feces surgically removed? Right. Okay. So it's the same kind of rarity. Um. But generally, I was talking to uh, to uh, a close doula friend of mine today about it, and I think that it's because the the birth of a baby and the birth of the the placenta are so big for humans. Like you're bringing a new human and the little bag that contain that 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 nourished that human for nine months into the world, and our birth culture doesn't have any way to hold that amazing experience. So we chop it up and try to make it scary and time bound. Mm. But like your placenta doesn't have to come out in an hour and a half. That wasn't 
anywhere written down and it's furthermore not scientific and that 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 really annoys me because obviously there are, there are some things that are that are scientifically valid like of course if you had been bleeding a lot mm-hmm. you know you would have been concerned but just mm-hmm. not bleeding and feeling healthy and eating and drinking and and moving and and you know putting your baby on the breast that's 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 fine and and there's no cause for alarm yeah that's what i had to keep checking in with I had to keep think as, you know, as the hours kept going by, because they kept going by, uh, I had to keep checking in and saying, okay, um, how do I feel? Am I lightheaded at all? Uh, how, like, what's going on with my blood? How much am I bleeding? Are there any clots? Um, and as long as, like, all of, as long as everything on my checklist is like, I'm good. And the only problem is the clock. I'm not seeking care. I'm not going to seek something outside of this space. Because that is the whole lesson of my whole mothering and becoming a mother and being pregnant experience. I went 43 weeks with Chloe. There was nothing wrong with us. The only problem was the clock. Um, you know, and not only, and well, not only the clock. I mean, your story with Chloe wasn't just about the clock, it was also about people, um, needing to be in control of something that they cannot control. Mm. So, the doctor needing to be in control of your experience Mm -hmm. because you can't, you, you can't control both, you can't control how it unfolds, when it unfolds, how long it takes how long the placenta takes. And so the easiest way to control it is with, you know, surgery and intervention. Mm-hmm. And the clock is an excuse. Oh, you're 43 weeks. Oh, you've been in labor for 36 hours. Mm. Oh, your placenta's still in and it's two hours. So all of these, you know, time, oh, you've been pushing for six hours. It's a really interesting way to frame it. The clock is the excuse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my placenta took 18 hours. <laughs> well, that might be a record. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it came out at 11 p.m. And I had her at 5 in the morning. So that was a really interesting 18 hours. Yeah. And, um. Again, it was, you know, you have to contend with fear, yours, uh, like mine, Luke's, my mother's. I would say that Luke and my mother were really getting worried by nightfall. Yeah. Um, But we're both so good and so practiced at not throwing that at me because they knew how strongly I had created boundaries for anyone who wanted to throw their fears at me and instead did really great things like Luke said, "Um, do you have a a time limit where you'll want to go to the hospital? Like, do you have something in mind like that? And I just said, um, I, you know, I would respond with different things like, well, I'm just going to try this thing and, 
and we'll see how I feel about it after that. Um, so I, I tried a number of things. At, at the five-hour mark, we tied and cut the cord. Um, you know, like all the nursing. We did all the nursing. And the as the hours went by, the afterbirth pains teetered off. Instead of coming, like, frequently, they were coming, like, once an hour. Um, I took some Arnica... I did some massage. I got in the tub. I spent time alone. I spent time with my baby. Um, I spent time massaging my belly. I could feel this like hard lump on the top right part of my belly. I was like, is there a half developed fetus in there (laughs) like you know my mind went to all kinds of crazy places um but I always came back to I'm not bleeding uh and I feel fine and maybe I'll try this one little thing you know and I reached out to to like women in my community at that point I got lots of great advice um I talked to my placenta. I told her to get the hell out of my body. I asked her nicely to get out of my body. I said prayers to her and thanked her for doing what she did and told her that I was finished now. Um, You know, I tried a bunch of different things, but the thing I didn't try was going to bed and I hadn't slept. And it was my friend, Kate, the traditional birth worker in Nova Scotia who said, Oh, go to bed. Your placenta is going to come. And I was like, okay, good job. Thanks. So I, I took a nap with Amelie. And when I woke up, um, Amelie started nursing and she nursed for a full hour, which like she hadn't done yet. And that was a very long nursing session. And as she nursed and nursed and nursed, my afterbirth pain started to come back. And they started to come back and they started to come back and they came back with a vengeance. And I had to tell her, I had to take her off the boob to tell her to stop because I needed, I was like, oh, I need to poop. I got to get up and go to the bathroom. And I got up and I, Luke helped me walk to the bathroom because the pain was so intense. And I had a huge, you know, surge halfway to the bathroom. It's like 20 feet from my bedroom. And then when I came into the bathroom, I, I sat on the toilet and I was like, okay, this next surge is coming and I'm going to poop with the surge. And instead, boom, into the toilet, fell my placenta. And I was like, oh, yes. And I heard my mom and Luke like kind of run to the door and be like, oh, did it come out? And then we, we all had a party in the bathroom. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was weird looking. It was really weird. Actually, Rivka, I'm going to send you pictures of it. Great. I love pictures like that. Those are my favorite kind of pictures. I will tell you what I think (laughs) for sure. Cool. Because it was not any of those pretty pictures of circular tree of life. I know. Those great things. Um, Interesting. Actually, uh, placentas have been very interesting during during COVID. So uh, I would really like to see the pictures. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Oval, oval shaped. Send um, me as many pictures as you have. Okay, cool. I also have like a video of me 
push poking it and prodding it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> All um, the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That's, that's, so that's birth and that's the birth amazing. Of placenta and um, it was everything I ever hoped that birth could be was yeah. the most beautiful, powerful and healing experience of my life. And it has completed me in a way that I didn't ever think I could feel complete after my experience with Chloe. And I yeah. just, um, I'm just, yeah, I'm just filled with so much gratitude for uh, the whole journey and every part of it, because I think that my experience with Chloe gave me the gift of my, my birth with Amelie. And uh, just like the births couldn't be more different, my girls couldn't be more different. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So now I'm just navigating, you know, mothering too. Being a and, mother. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting and and something that I've been thinking of a lot about because I skipped out of birth work for a few years there and now I'm back in it and and my one of the one phrase that you that jumped out at me was and I wrote it down here birth authority and I know that I'm a birth authority and I know that I'm a birth expert and I don't want to be that because I don't think that's right because in us in our relationship right now you and I you are your birth authority mm-hmm. and your birth expert and you made that um you you made that manifest with your second birth experience but you know women come to me all the time uh for for guidance and I do prenatal preparation with women all the time and I all the time I'm trying to get outside of myself and behind myself so that I can so that I can accompany them on their journey to become whole so that they can birth with sovereignty like you did. And it's it's so tough. It's such a tough dance because I don't want to be that person that plants the seed that 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 ends up in a in a fruit that that isn't right for that person. Mm. It's almost an impossible situation. <laughs> Right. Um, I would say, yeah, it's one of the very deep paradoxes of um, of being an elder as a woman um, and knowing that knowing that it's you, you, the the women in, in the in the childbearing year that have the power. And 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 I know that with your first birth, you didn't know you had the power. Yeah. It's like it's kind of like I knew, but. I I couldn't feel it. I couldn't connect with it. The amount of of um, unlearning and relearning that I had to go through to get to a place where I was just like standing in this powerful, sovereign place right before my birth with Amelie. It, it was years and years of work. Yeah. And it's it's like it's not even possible for a mother to do that work as soon as she gets pregnant. It's like work that has to be done before you're pregnant. Yeah. And yeah, so so it is an impossible situation. Um, and the other thing that you said that really really resonated with me and I think is so hard for women women to accept was that you yeah, you 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 stated that yes, there was 
you were vulnerable and yes, there was violence and yes, all of those things, but you were, um, I don't remember your exact wording, but you basically claimed your responsibility in the whole, in the whole um, experience. And I think until mm -hmm. we claim our responsibility in our victimization, then we cannot move forward. Yeah. That was a and really that's big so piece tough. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Because yeah, that they do shitty things to us. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, and I'm not talking about people like those the the people that I was working with in Greece, a, a Syrian refugee who's been bombed out of her house and ends up pregnant in, in some horrible camp in Greece. Like, yeah, those those things you're not complicit in your in in, in the things that happen to you. But but when you go to the hospital and when you do say yes and you don't just jump up and like rip all the tubes out and go home, <laughs> I know that's dramatic, mm -hmm. but that's what, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Like it's dramatic and it's fantasy, but it's what so many women who had unnecessary C-sections dream of doing after the fact. Yeah. But is completely impossible in oh, the moment, absolutely. right? Of course and that's, it is. And that's not uh, speaking to like them in that moment. That's actually speaking to years of grooming. Yeah. Lifetimes of grooming. Yeah. Which is a whole other podcasting conversation to have. Well, it's, yeah, it is, <laughs> but it's also an ongoing conversation within this whole series, is, it was, which is about, you know, getting out of that grooming and when's the grooming going to stop and like you you know you have you have two little girls that's yeah that's big that's that's really big yeah and just just to touch on that really lightly um since i was ingrained in the system with chloe um she has a doctor and i took her for those first well visits and i haven't done that with amelie and I, I witnessed the grooming begin, uh, you know, at three months where the doctor um, separated her labia to look at her vaginal hole really quickly and, you know, quite uncomfortably. But there it was. Um, Chloe had her legs spread two months, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So Without that's how early. Anything. Yeah. And and I think I had I had known that that was going to be happening, and I had planned on not letting it happen because I thought it was stupid and rude. Yes, um, but it happened. Yeah, I'm so sorry. No, I it you know yes, I'm sorry too. I'm exactly. sorry it happened to my daughter. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But that's what women are contending with. Yes, that's what we're contending with. And that's why stories like yours, although they might, um, you know, offend some people and maybe make some people afraid, are so important to get out there. Yeah. Fear not, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Fear not. <laughs> to, so, this is the time to not be afraid. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a time when that's a crack in the system and we have to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. I believe. I actually think that COVID was, was a real um, kind of a gift for me too, because the thought of, uh, can my partner be there and do I have to go to an appointment alone and, and which yeah. hospital allows what and all that rigmarole. I was like, no, 
absolutely not. Yeah, I've had so many women call me just precisely for that reason. Like they, they, they're calling and they're saying, like, I'm not a, I'm not an outlier. I'm not a radical. I, I, you know, I gave birth in the hospital with my first baby, but like, I'm not going to the hospital if I can't have my partner in there. And then if I test positive, they take my baby away from, from me. Yeah. Like that's, that's not, that's not rational. No, that's insanity. Yeah. So I'm going to wrap up with Mm -hmm. my final question that I ask everyone. If you could just give everyone that's listening one word, what would it be? Sovereignty. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, mother. Thank you, man. And thank you, babies who have themselves have taught you so much. Yes, and thank you to every woman who told their story so that I could hear it uh, on my journey towards my birth.